Welcome to episode number 206 of CXO Talk. I'm Michael Krigsman. CXO Talk brings together the most innovative leaders in the world talking about the impact of technology on organizations. And we're talking today with Bill Briggs, who is the chief technology officer of Deloitte Consulting. And of course, Deloitte Consulting is one of the largest consulting organizations in the world. I'm Michael Krigsman, your host. I'm an industry analyst, and uh, I'm thrilled to be here, and I hope that you are too. <laughs> Bill, I'm, I'm thrilled, Michael, so two of us are for sure. It's good. No. Bill, thanks so much for, for joining us today. Um, you, you, you're coming to us from, from Kansas. From Kansas City, uh, which is always fun as the CTO, and I was actually the global leader of Deloitte Digital when we started our digital practice. I meet with executives around the world, and they say, well, do you live in, in Mountain View or, or Cupertino? And I say, no, Leewood. And they go, oh, is that somewhere near, uh, I'm not sure, Palo Alto? Or I'm like, no, it's in Kansas City. And then I say, I say Silicon Prairie, and then that gets a chuckle, and then... Uh, and we have to move on. If they push me, I can say the Paris of the Plains, which is nice. But then, uh, but it's my wife. It's where her family is. And I'm in a different city every day. So it's worked out phenomenal. We love it here. Well, uh, tell us about Deloitte Consulting. Yeah. So you, you started this off in the right place. We're the biggest professional services firm in the world. And you know, we pride ourselves in helping the biggest companies, the biggest government organizations can transform themselves. Full stop. Business model and reinvention helping solve the biggest problems that they have with operations, changing the way that they engage with customers, uh, you name it, across every industry with a global presence. Um, and it's, you know, what's great is I joined the firm 18 and a half years ago. Computer engineer along the way got an MBA, but uh, engineer technology in my, in my DNA. And when I joined, technology was an interesting little side experiment. Uh, for a firm that was more, more often known for our tax and audit, just still an important part of the broader Deloitte. Uh, but now consulting is you know, the biggest player in the world and technology is at the heart of what we're helping our clients harness to do all the things they need to do to drive innovation and growth. So it's fantastic. How many employees do you have? Well, globally, it's over 230,000. Um, that's for the broader Deloitte. I think for the U.S. consulting, it's 80,000 or so. Should we should fact check that, but it's close to it. So it's it's a huge, which is phenomenal because it, I joined out of undergrad, uh, and it's really fun to see you know, the next generations come up and push our thinking and help us evolve our services. And uh, I still think I'm that kid right out of uh, right out of college when I'm when I'm down, especially on campus recruiting and helping our our new staff through. And then I look in the mirror and see the hairline and get reminded that maybe that might not quite be the case, but in, in spirit, right? It's good. <laughs> well, it seems like you're having a good time there. But I think one question that immediately comes to mind is, so you're a professional services organization, and yet you have, you're, you're the chief technology officer. And so why does Deloitte Consulting need a CTO? Well, I mean, it comes back to if, if, if we believe that uh, every company is a technology company and technology is changing so quickly and, and the only constant that we have anymore is the constant for change and the surety that tomorrow is going to be more complicated than today. Like those things come together. My role is about research, about innovation you know, for our clients and also the investments we need to make within the consulting practice and how we evolve our services 
and stay ahead of the issues our clients care most about and, and invest the right way in the traditional sense, you know, with our people, with the right skills and capabilities, partnering with the right alliance vendors so we can go and make a difference. And in, in recent years, just as importantly, investing in products and hybrid offerings so we have a way to bring IP to the table that's not just our people and the ability to get really hard things done, but to actually come in with uh, part of the answers pre-baked in products and offerings. Um, and so it's a mix between those worlds. It's research and innovation, uh, but it's, it's external facing most of the time with clients and then a nice feedback loop into the things that we need to be doing to kind of up our game and evolve uh, with the same factors they're driving our clients to invest and transform. So a big part of your time then is spent helping your helping advise your clients on their technology investment and their innovation strategy with with yeah. respect to, mm-hmm, to tech. Yeah, spot on. And and it's what's been fun to see that conversation even eight. 10 years ago, that was still a CIO or a CTO focused conversation within a big Fortune 50 company. Uh, what we're seeing is it's increasingly a CEO level conversation or even a board level conversation, right? What, what are the things that we need? You know, this is a continuum. Uh, and on one side is the hero's journey, this unprecedented opportunity for innovation and growth. You know, so how do we evolve our services? How do we evolve our business model? How do we evolve how we compete? How do we even evolve the boundaries of our industry? The other end of the spectrum is the existential threat of disruption. <laughs> that's that's over every one of our clients in every industry, including even professional services. So how do how do we make sure that we're balancing between those two very real forces? Uh, and and, it, and the the challenge is there's so much happening. And, and sometimes I use shorthand to say, listen, uh, macro forces, digital, everything is happening in digital. Everything that's happening in analytics, data analytics, advanced analytics. I know you want to talk a little about AI and the like. Everything that's happened with cloud and is happening with cloud. Everything that's happening with the core systems we've invested trillions of dollars over the years, our back office, our mid office, our front office, the heart of how the business runs. How do we, how do we rethink and modernize those core systems? And then the business of IT, you know, the actual role of the CIO, the IT department, the skills they need to bring to the table, how they need to deliver and operate differently. So those five buckets, you could pick any one. So I go, we could play Jeopardy and pick one and we could spend this hour about the amazing advances that happen just in digital or just in analytics. Uh, and, and then you take a step back and say, actually they're all important and they're not independent isolated things. There's so much collision between those topics. And so you have to quickly get away from being overwhelmed by so much what in the world, right? All of these things that are happening, interesting advances, new technology players and platforms. The what you've got to understand, but only to get to the so what. What does it mean to my business? What does it mean to my customers? What does it mean to my market? Uh, And then what I think we do better than anybody is is to actually get to the now what, right? So, So hardest the so what to get to the now what, and then have confidence to start making investments because it's very easy to have analysis paralysis with is so much potential and so much change. Um, so, 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 so basically then the easy part is observing, um, um, tell me if I'm paraphrasing correctly. So the easy part is yeah. 
observing the state of the world, what's much harder is to figure out how do we, what are the investments that we make that will be the proper, correct response to that. Yeah, and it's, it's not meaning to dismiss the great work that's happening, kind of advancing those individual technology domains. Uh, and that's certainly a challenge just to understand the actual what and the difference between the promise of the vendors uh, and the startup community and the academic community and what's actually ready for enterprise adoption. But then the, the actual two things that are hard, um, we sometimes say, how do you imagine, how do you deliver, how do you run the future? And the imagined piece can be hard because our natural starting point is always going to be in today or yesterday. So we're anchored in how we've used technology. And if you think about the earliest days of when mobile, uh, you might have seen, we recently had a great partnership announcement with Apple to drive enterprise mobile um, and, and basically free the enterprise. Why is it so, why have we changed our personal lives so much? And then once you walk into the office, the way you do your job still looks pretty similar to the way it was 10, 15 years ago. Uh, and part of the problem is when we when we go in and you look at a finance process or supply chain process or a sales process, it's very tempting to say, okay, how do we take the things that we used to do and just move them to a different form factor, a different technology? And you have to say, no, 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 fundamentally, how could and how should we do things differently because of all of these new opportunities, this new potential, this all the collective what? You know, and, then, and then once you get that imagined piece, then you can actually typically get a very crunchy, very real business case, which solves for the so what. Uh, and then, you know, take action with the idea that we're going to learn, we're going to have to expand our scope, we're going to have more ambitions over time. Uh, and we don't have to solve for all of that before we can get going and get tangible progress um, and momentum. So how do you explain So, So I'm sure that many of your clients are going through various types of digital transformation projects. And yep. how do you explain the, the connection between the business aspect of digital transformation and the technology components of digital transformation? Yeah, it's, it's perfect. And, and you can even say between the business and the technology or even the broader digital implication versus just the customer and the marketing and the places that are easier to, to start with. You know, digital, when we launched Deloitte Digital almost five years ago, uh, we had some criticism at the time as we acquired agencies and invested heavily in creative and design and brought a lot of things that we already did. Uh, we brought them together to get to get at the scale. And a lot of it at the earliest days were commerce and web and mobile development and content management and things that had a heavy emphasis on the customer side. And so at the time, people said, why would you, uh, why would you limit this new offering that's going to compete directly with agencies in a way that you haven't had before. And the Deloitte brand, isn't that an albatross kind of holding you back because it doesn't have the awareness with the CMO perhaps, and it doesn't have, you know, some of the witty pithy agency like sexy glean around it. And, and even at the earliest day when we launched it, we said, no, 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 because digital is all of that stuff for sure. But it's also how do you reshape the enterprise? How do you how do you reimagine the enterprise of how work gets done? And by the way, most importantly, it's about how do you think about your products and services and offerings, and how do you evolve to have either adjacent digital solutions and services with a physical product, or do you actually move and pivot more directly to digital being a primary market? 
so, so from the earliest days, we said, you know, it has to be all of that. And it's been great to see our model of the digital consulting agency going to be the model everyone's trying to emulate now. Um, but, but you hit on a great, whenever I go in and the, the actual workshop titled is digital strategy or digital transformation, almost every one of those, the most time we spend is let's just try to define what we think that means. And we have workshops and a lot of tools that we've created to kind of spark that discussion. So the executive team at a client can say, when we say digital, it means these three things. And, and, and by the way, it's typically not, those are the three and the denominator is three of the only things that will mean. It's an ambition statement that's broad, but then we're, we're gonna go after and try to make it real, make it actionable. Uh, and we're gonna translate digital into these initiatives. And almost always, it has things that go well beyond just that customer engagement uh, and you know, sales and marketing and the like. Though that's still an important part of it, for sure. It's just not the only part of it. So, but the I, I would imagine that there's that there's a challenge that many clients face in terms of understanding the full scope of what this actually means and then how do they get there? Because when you talk about reimagining the enterprise, that's a very big, that's a, that's a major statement. (laughs) That's that's what I just said. I've never had more fun because there's so much opportunity in front of, you know, not, not shallowly opportunity for Deloitte to grow our business, which sure that's going to happen. But the, the, the idea that we're, we're helping the biggest companies in the world truly, truly, truly transform themselves. Um, and, and, you know, so the scope, the scoping bit is, is big and complex and is challenging. The other piece to it that's, that's a real constraint is that, you know, we're now in almost 2017 and most big organizations have started the digital journey, you know, already because the opportunity was so clear. And so they launched initiatives to start, you know, trying to put predictive analytics in the supply chain and to try to have, uh, omni-channel, context-driven, personalized customer engagement across all the interaction patterns and in and in and And so part of the issue becomes, because each one of those has, kind of, has been championed by a different function or a different executive team, maybe a different line of business, to do it at the scale that we like to say the full opportunity is at, you've got to bring those things together, which doesn't mean shut everything down until you have this unified holistic vision and everyone you know, cause the, the, the reason everyone's investing in making the point progress they're making is because the opportunities are very real and immediate, but you've got to take a step back and say, how do we solve for data in a middle, more deliberate way? How do we set, solve for content in a more deliberate way? How do we solve for integration and APIs in a more in, in, deliberate way? How do we actually elevate things to platforms instead of point solutions and, 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 um, and so that's the, you know, a, a big part of what we do is try to help make sense of that. I won't call it noise because noise might have a, a negative connotation. It's it's just a lot of feverish activity, right? We we have a question from Twitter, and Wayne Anderson is wondering how does the chief technology officer relate to uh, security compliance governance yeah. and the chief information security officer? Yeah, it's a great and I, I rattle off my five big forces, and I typically save the punchline of of risk in cyber as the as the six, which is embedded in each one of those. So security and privacy, regulatory and compliance. And by the way, we've started evolving that definition to say and 
ethics and morality uh, and market risk and financial risk. You know, so a broad risk discussion instead of just making it about cyber. Uh, but I, I work very closely with our CISO. I work very closely with our advisory group that actually owns enterprise risk and cyber. Uh, it's one of the strengths that we have, again, uh, 15 years ago when the prevailing wisdom was you have to split your consulting arm from the rest of your traditional advisory tax and audit businesses. You know, we kept them together. We're the only one that kept them all together. And now we see having that cyber as a part of our technology, digital transformation offerings. You know, so, so we could make cyber in the broader risk discussion a part of the outset. You know, when we're, when we're doing ideation, we're actually having those considerations at the table in the discussion from the beginning. And we know what it's going to take and, and how far we can push boundary wise and how aggressive we should be within a given industry and country um, to, to, to make sure that's something that's a discipline and throughout the whole life cycle of an investment and a transformation. If it's, if it's just a compliance activity at the end to say, hopefully we don't go to jail or hopefully we don't do something to get sued or how, hopefully we don't do something that, Put, put us in the front page of the paper and, and cause a lot of brand damage. You've already lost if that's all that you're doing. Yeah. And, and mostly if you're in a lot of my friends are CISOs, uh, they, they like the kid that uh, the, the worst thing that can happen is they become the chief no officer, <laughs> right? Or the one putting no in innovation. If you spell it innovation, it's got no in the middle. And, and they, if you make them be the people that are always slowing you down, you'll never get past imaginable risk, right? And we've got to get to acceptable risk and recognizing that, that you know, risk is real and it's something we have to consider, um, but we have to decide what's the appropriate response and how to mitigate the best. And uh, so I love the question. Um, what, is, what does all of this mean for uh, the CIOs? Because when you say that the CISO, CISO, doesn't want to become the chief no officer, historically, for me, I think many people yeah. working in large companies viewed the CIO as the person who, who yeah. you know, the, the, the king or queen of no. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's funny how if you would have asked me 15 years ago, I would have said you know, CIO is one of the worst jobs because... You, you, it's almost a no-win. The best case is that you don't hear hear, hear their name, hear technology brought up, you know, at, at, in the boardroom or in the C-suite, and it's shifted completely. Um, we actually just did, and we could tweet out a link to this to the study. We just published a global CIO survey, and we basically uh, found last year that there's three large, there's three big archetypes of CIOs, and it, it lines up nicely uh, to this idea of you know there's an operator which is focused on efficiency and, and driving the traditional things I think IT departments were asked to do. How do we get more reliable and predictable? How do we have better efficacy of spend, cost containment? So there's an operator archetype. There's a business co-creator archetype, which is more of how do we align with strategic initiatives and help drive real change? And then there's the change instigator, which is the one that's actually the catalyst for understanding the what translating to the so what and, and driving the imagine and deliver piece of it. Uh, and interestingly, it's, an in, it's, it's a pretty equal mix. So we interviewed 1,200 CIOs. We find it's a pretty even mix between them all. Uh, when you ask them aspiration, it over-indexes toward the business co-creator and change instigator side. But the, the point of it is none of them are right or wrong. You've got to be 
the right CIO for, for your time and for your place. Uh, and we've seen over and over again, organizations that don't have that core operational discipline in place, it's really hard to elevate IT to anything other than, you know, the, the GOAT, <laughs> the, 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 you know, the list of grievances of why things take so long and aren't dependable and uh, cost too much. Um, and so, but in that, I think there's this great realization that the CIO can evolve to these higher levels. It's not a seat at the table that can be the one actually helping inform about the potential and helping spark the real investment. Um, so there's no, we, we shift from 15 years ago, I would have said it's a really hard job and I wouldn't recommend kids getting into it. I think circa 2016-17, it's actually one of the most exciting jobs that you can have um, if this confluence of opportunities are realized the right way. So how can CIOs, how can CIOs as well as organizations take advantage of this opportunity? And can you elaborate a little bit more on why this CIO opportunity is so great now during this period of time of digital transformation? Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, we hit on if, if technology is the heart of how change, all the change we've seen in front of us, uh, and, and not only the, the full potential, but then you know, as we dream about tomorrow, we have to get there from today. And so as we talk about advanced technology adoption and transformation, you know, a big part of that's still going to go through my existing data and systems, my people. There's, there's, I've got to find a way to unlock the, the, the foundation I have to make it more agile and, more, and, and let it be a, a contributing part, if not a, a really critical part of this journey of digital transformation. And so that requires me to get there from today. I need the mooring line. As I look to the stars and the moon, I have to have a mooring line that says, how do I understand the path there? And importantly, can I get back down again? And with that, you know, enterprise class, when we say digital, it's really easy to say, let's do a, let's do a one-off IoT prototype on an Arduino board. And we're going to play with some open source libraries and do something really interesting in a plan in a facility on a customer site in a retail store. When you then say, okay, I'm going to actually sell that as a product, or I'm going to extend my core operations so that my supply chain or inventory management is dependent on that signal I'm getting from those solutions. Doing it enterprise class with all the illities. Mike, I don't know if you've ever heard the rattling of the illities before. We could do the ballad of the illities. Right? Reliability and security and maintainability and scalability and flexibility and and operability, interoperability. I mean, there's these things that we've held true inside tech for so long. We don't get a pass because we're suddenly in this digital realm that we, we have to think about those things. Um, and so, you know, for, for CIOs, first and foremost, technology is only more important than yesterday. Uh, it, it was vogue for a while for some of the analysts said the CIO role will become the chief data center officer or the chief electricity officer, you know, where the technology, it's, it's a utility that we just tap into. Uh, and that's true if you only think about the world from the lowest end of the operate stack. I think of the opposite. It's the, you know, design is more important than ever. Integration and bringing all these parts together is more important than ever. Architecture with an emphasis on illities is more important than ever. Understanding what's coming next, the sensing, the scanning, the vetting and bringing that to the business with an idea of what it means for your industry, for your company, for your business, 
you know, all of those things I'd say are the most important things that any company could do and do well. And who better to do it than the CIO where she or he owns that agenda and a lot of that knowledge today. You know, but the flip side is what you're doing today isn't going to be enough. <laughs> so one of the things that we're seeing is uh, like what finance did 20 years ago and like what the supply chain did 15 years ago and like what sales did 10 years ago, the IT function itself is going through a transformation phase. And the irony that we didn't apply technology to the technology shop to practice our own craft uh, is, being, is being fixed. And so this is this great uh, confluence of autonomic platforms with uh, virtualization and containerization and cloud and APIs, all these things coming together. Okay, that was, that was, a, that was a long, you, you, you clearly struck a nerve, Michael. That was a diatribe, I apologize. No, no, this is, but this is an important issue for many CIOs. And before we leave the CIO topic, so, so can you compare or, or contrast this future CIO role, say present or future CIO role versus what the role was historically? The reason being, I think that that uh, comparison will help people understand, help, help CIOs and, and help uh, organizations understand the where the role the opportunity in the role let's put it that yeah. way yeah no it's and, and you know i think a lot of so, so um historically a lot of cios kind of grew up through the infrastructure through the application space and so a lot of them had deep technology chops uh, and and that's important so the tech fluency and the tech iq by the way it's not just important for the cio in the it department it's increasingly important for the broader business and we're seeing big companies invest to up the tech fluency or the tech savviness or the tech IQ of their organization at large. Uh, for, for the technology-minded CIO, part of the challenge is we, we, we have to understand how we can do things differently than how we've grown up uh, and probably earned our, or earned our title, earned the role, uh, because of this combination of new technologies and new ways to deliver the new technologies. And so we use a, um, a construct called right speed IT. Uh, others have used bimodal or two speed IT. But a part of that is to say, you know, agile is becoming the new norm and it's probably a hybrid agile because a lot of what you have to do on those legacy systems don't lend themselves to the same speed as the pure digital cloud development. So how do I balance but truly adopt Agile, which means a pretty significant change in my IT shop and how the business interacts with IT to deliver a project and program. It means I have to instill a, a culture of curiosity and a culture of learning in my shop and, and personally myself to stay relevant and credible. It means I have to invest in these tools and I'll use DevOps as just an umbrella for a lot of things, but I need to be able to automate testing in a way that I probably can't do at scale today. I need to automate release management. And so it's less hands-on you know, manual labor on keyboards. I need to invest in autonomic processes to help IT run and help me free up my people to do more important things. Um, and, so, and so this mix, you know, and, and, and not just being the order taker when the business has decided to invest in a space or even worse, the business decided to invest in a space and already contracted a vendor to do it. 
you know, the, the CIO and the IT department should be the spark for the imagination and certainly should help drive the solution shaping of what the right collection of, of you know, technologies should be, should be in play. Um, and then owning that whole deliver and run cycle, but doing it faster. And, and, and when we say right speed IT, sometimes my tagline or kicker is the only right speed is faster. <laughs> uh, but the idea that there's just two extremes and never the tween shall meet is fantasy that I've never found in the world, right? This, this hybrid model has to be in between. We uh, have a question from Twitter from Arsalan Khan. And I want to get to this uh, through this one relatively quickly because I want to talk about technology as well. So, okay. so Arsalan Khan is asking, how do you think about innovation and the different types of innovation? <laughs> and how's the, can, you, can you even give a quick yeah, answer no, to it's, that? <laughs> it's a great, we actually have uh, a, a, a very robust framework of 10 different types of innovation, which goes from business model and the traditional product bit to the experience. And so it's, it's a really great backdrop to say uh, innovation can be a discipline, should be a discipline process. There's many different types that we have to think about and not just focus on product or feature innovation, which is a, a bias we typically have. Uh, and then how do, we, how do we institutionalize an approach for sensing and scanning, for experimentation, for vetting, for scaling, and for potentially divesting? And, and you know, so there's, there's a way to actually, to treat an, an innovation response to all these disruption forces. Uh, and, and what we're seeing is organizations actually investing in a foundry-like model that has a bit of a lab, a, a bit of a partnership where they're reaching out to the ecosystem and saying, my traditional vendors and new startups and, and, and how do you all help me and take a piece in investing with me? Because I'm not ready maybe to go as full in as I need to on any one of these topics but I also shouldn't have to shoulder all that responsibility. Uh, and so when I mentioned up front, our products and solutions are hybrid offerings. Uh, a lot of that is, is geared toward those spaces. And a lot of times with specific clients where we're co-investing on something that's, that's extremely important to the future of their business, but they're not ready or able to take on all the challenge themselves. And, and typically it has cognitive analytics and machine learning and AI and digital and these things baked into it. Uh, so I love the question. and. And if you search the 10 types of innovation, uh, that it's, it's a great bit of work that we have. Uh, there's actually a book written about it, and we use it all the time. And it sounds like this is very consistent with the Agile and uh, DevOps approach that you were just describing, which is also designed to bring together people who hist traditionally, historically, were in different organizations or different departments, where, which were silos. Yeah, and, and our tech trend for 17 that's gonna be published next month is unbounded IT, which is trying to remove those constraints of silos of responsibility. How do you get multidisciplinary teams working together? And when we started the Deloitte Digital Realm, uh, not only did we hire creative designers and behavioral psychologists and cultural anthropologists and the like, but when we, we acquired Monitor and Doblin, uh, a true design firm, a true strategy firm, you know, it, it takes bringing all those together and we pride ourselves in deep industry expertise, which is really important. What's, what's really been fascinating is we're seeing a, a strong desire to bring cross-industry knowledge. It's not just 
how do we understand what other retailers are doing, but could we learn from what oil and gas has done to use fiber optics to understand the actual flow of oil and gas 25,000 feet down in the ground, that same technology might be able to be used in a retail store to understand customer flow. Or, you know, so it's just bringing together you know, innovation. People think of the light bulb and eureka moment. Uh, most of the time is the importing and exporting of ideas. And we, uh, we'd love to be the broker of that. And we have another question from Twitter. Shelly Lucas is wondering, how do you feel about the notion of data co-ops, which are an outgrowth of data management platforms? Yeah, I th so it's, it's interesting that we see this explosion of data and this need to take care of not just the traditional things that we didn't do well before, but this broader unstructured view. And one of the tech trends from 17 is, is dark analytics, which is video and audio and image and other unstructured text and the deep web and, and, and. And so there's a platform element of how do we create solutions that can take on all types of data, but not make it so the chaos is unrecoverable. So you know, just the, the trucks are backing in whatever we can find and eventually we'll go and sift through it. You know, with this idea of co-ops and other data management and managed service ideas, you know, can we create teams that are working together for a while, it seemed like if we just had data scientists, that would be enough. But it actually is we need probabilistic programmers and we need you know, folks that are great with visualization and presentation. So the graphic design and, and I mean, how do we actually illustrate findings uh, and, and let people explore how confident we are with the rules and the algorithms? Because to move from just insight to automation, uh, to actuation, to, to allowing a response to be to be made because of the findings that we had. Um, you need that level of buy-in that a black box model, that a machine learning algorithm isn't going to be able to show you kind of why it came up with the conclusion it came up with. So you have to find other ways to bring that to life. So it's important. It's two of our biggest priorities right now are data management, managed services, and they go nicely together. Uh, very insightful question. One of the things that is very important to you as well, I know, are the technologies that are, are going to be, be important to us. And so would you share with us the tech trends that, that you're publishing and how yeah. did you choose them? Why did, why did you settle on these? Yeah, I mean, we, it's every year, this is the eighth year we publish uh, tech trends. And uh, what we try to do is, is say it's the Horizon 1.5 which is the 18 to 24 month type of lens. Uh, and that makes it so they're, they're, they're pragmatic, uh, but prognosticating. So the, it's, it's the pragmatic side of prognostication is what I sometimes say. So they're, they're within the realm of, we think in the next year or two, we'll see mass adoption and impact. Uh, and so we, it's a year long process. We have automated scanning. We meet with clients, vendors and academics and startups. VCs uh, and tap our people uh, for their ideas and things they think are important and coming. Uh, and so every year it's, it's the vetting and the thing that makes it, when we winnow it down, it's the one, we want a good representation across the full breadth of domains. So we don't want to over-index in just digital or over-index in just analytics. So we want to make sure we're shining a light on uh, the, the full spectrum. And then the second is because it's this horizon 1.5, we have to have real examples of real companies or real government agencies making, get, getting some value out of these things today. 
It doesn't mean they're fully realized. It doesn't mean that they're at the end of the journey. They could be breadcrumbs and directionally just proving out why it's why it matters. Uh, and so, so you know, really great ideas that get scuttled at the last minute is because we can't find enough uh, interesting client examples of you know, who's doing it, 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 really doing it, and not so, just so a one-off prototype. So you care about what's actually practical. And so what are some of those things? What are some of the yeah, things that so, you're looking at? So I mentioned dark analytics, which I love. That's the un unstructured from traditional sources, audio, video, analytics, advanced computer vision, advanced pattern recognition. Uh, and it's got a dot, dot, dot into the deep web, uh, which is, is lurking as a really fascinating potential source of complementary data. So that's one. Uh, it's It goes hand in hand with another trend on machine intelligence, which is you know, one trying to make a point of uh, too many people use terms interchangeably that are different, but related. So a bit of it's just saying this is machine learning versus deep learning versus NLP versus NLG versus cognitive analytics versus versus. But the point of all of it is, you know, there's really great new techniques available that we can apply. Uh, and, and one, don't get wrapped up around the technique or the algorithm or the technology. Uh, again, understand the possibilities so you can bring it back to real questions that matter. And if you had an answer to the real questions, you could do something differently uh, in the business or in the market. Yeah, and so, so that's a nice, it, it's trying to bring the broader AI discussion and make it a bit more grounded and actionable. Um, another one I love, uh, and you might see around me some VR headsets and, and things in the background, but um, mixed reality, which is the combination of AR, VR, and IoT, uh, and, and some others. But um, the point not being on the individual headsets or technologies or sensors or connected devices, but how we need this rich context to come together with a new engagement pattern, a, a new way to experience the world around us uh, or the world that's being simulated for us with the hooks between the physical and the digital. Um, and and you know, we, we declare success because we move from point, click and type to touch and swipe and now talk uh, we hope we get to this a new world of being beyond the glass sometime soon. Or, can you give you know, us a, can you give us some examples for how yeah. mixed reality will be used? Yeah, so take a field service technician for an oil and gas company when they're on site, you know, having the pumps with sensors that can report out its health and help them quickly get to the place that needs repair, or maybe they're out making a repair before it actually breaks down because they've got advanced analytics embedded. Uh, that's it, it knows that a fail failure is imminent and we're going out to prevent the downtime. But if they're wearing uh, some kind of a smart glass, they could actually be guided to that space. So think of a GPS beaconing that's bringing you right to whatever the piece of equipment is, you know, scanning to show you exactly what needs response, having work aid in your line of sight, kind of steps for the repair based on all the best knowing of every other pump like that that's failed in the past, uh, potentially have you able to initiate with a second or third level support person that's back in the home office in Texas that can see what you're seeing and, and actually telestrate in your line of sight to give you visual clues while they're giving you directions auditorily uh, and actually help you resolve the issue completely heads 
you know, heads up and hands free. So, uh, and, and then by the way, as the repair is finished, there's a video and an image that gets associated with the work order. All the paperwork is automatically done because it's the machine is reporting out that it's repaired. There's proof of your geopositional where you were, video of the repair that was done. So instead of Friday being back and filling out all the paperwork or completing all the system tasks and the workflow is being done for you. Now that, you know, that, that a few years ago would have, would have felt like something out of, I love the TV show Black Mirror, right? That would have felt like something out of Black Mirror and it's real today. Um, and so our, our point for all of it is even while AR and VR get a lot of attention and even IOT gets a lot of attention with the consumer realm. Uh, and you'd probably guess, Michael, I've got, uh, I'm a purveyor of gadgets. So I've got all kinds of things around the house. It's the enterprise or, or what it means to the business, what it means to the government agency. That's where we think the biggest adoption is gonna come. And, and the rest will follow. Um, which, it just shows you how far we've come that some of the press thought it was particularly pithy when I said, it's the enterpriseification of technology is the opposite of consumerization. Um, and, and it's just, we've, we've swung so far over in the last few years that we've forgotten technology adoption from its inception until you know, six, seven years ago. It always was the workplace of the enterprise that kind of drove and if somehow that's that's clever to say again, which I'll take credit for. It. I'll, <laughs> well, it's fine. Uh, we we have just a you know five minutes left, and we haven't spoken too much. You've mentioned AI and machine learning, and so maybe uh, please share your thoughts on that. And also, why are the ethical implications and ethical issues around AI be becoming uh, so important? Yeah, so I mean, the, the first part of machine learning, it's you know, algorithms that without us actually scripting ahead of time what we want the conclusions to make. It's finding its way to understand relationships between mass data sets um, and, and coming up with, with correlations and causation potentially that, that wouldn't have been easily discovered otherwise. So historically reporting was, let's get a bunch of data, we'll look at it, and from that we'll be able to, we'll, we'll be able to intuit what it means Machine learning is saying, listen, uh, tell me a bit of what the question you're asking, and then I'm going to go look at all the data, the things you tell me might be important, and, and the things that you, you, you don't think are important. I don't care. I'm going to look at everything. I'm going to try all the combinations and run a bunch of simulations. I'm going to see what actually matters and come up with some conclusions for you. Uh, what's, what's really interesting is the first realm of adoption is going to be insights. So it'll be extensions, traditional analytics, and business intelligence. And so, you know, here's a view of what's happening right now, or here's a view of what happened in some interpretation of it. There's not a lot of ethical debate about that one. That's, that's just a better way to do the things we've done before with data. The, the second one, which we think is going to be the majority of activity for a while, is this augmentation where it's actually like the oil and gas example, machine learning could have been running through all the scenarios, given the feedback it was getting from the faulty pump, and all the service history and records and performance history and records it has from all the devices it's ever seen and come up with a very personalized approach for that incident, for that repair person on, on their level of expertise and what we can trust them to do with the piece of equipment in front of them. And so there's a lot of complicated analytics happening in the background, but it's not launching a drone to automatically fix the pump. It's giving it to the individual to help them do their job better. So that augmentation 
um, is, is really where the exciting, a lot of where this is going to go for the next five years. The last one is where you actually have cognitive agents doing the actual workload itself, potentially. Uh, and, and it can be in a dumb sense. So bots and RPA are, are topics that get a lot of attention, a robotic process automation. A lot of those are just glorified scripts. They're taking repeatable tasks and doing them in an automated fa fashion, brute force. You know, instead of having someone hit F5, it's doing it on their behalf. The, the end of that spectrum becomes actually with intelligence, with reasoning, you know, someone, a virtual worker, a virtual agent doing what a system engineer would do or doing what a loan officer would do. And, and we're seeing the technology advance to make those more feasible and actually it's happening in pockets right now. And you can tell, you can you know, see why that, that extreme, it, it really does start seeing like, you know, we're, we're shifting a big part of our workforce. The things that we ask our workforce to do potentially could be done by an artificial intelligence. Um, and so it's a real issue. And I think we need to uh, be upfront about it. That's why we put ethics and morality in the beginning of all of these conversations with our clients. Um, and it opens up dialogue of, you know, what is the social responsibility, not just to the traditional things that we care about, the environment and civic rights and the like, but in, into the employability of our people and the people in our communities and the like. Uh, and I think we'll see an appropriate response. Um, every time that humanity has said technology will, will forever you know, make us unemployed, we found a way to, to evolve. Um, and, and so if you think of this as the second or third industrial revolution, uh, I'm very bullish on we're going to find a way through and be even better off than we were before. Um, Wow, you know, I we're we're basically out of time. I wish we had another hour to go, uh, but you'll have to come back and we'll and we'll do it again. But one very last question, uh, comment from Twitter, question from Twitter, which is from Sohail Sarwar, and I hope I pronounced your name correctly. And he's asking, are there mainstream opportunities for small service providers to? collaborate with large firms like Deloitte? What advice yeah. do you have? Yeah, there, there, there certainly are. I think, I think the, the thing that I always tell smaller firms um, is it's coming in with very pointed opinions of where your services line up with you know, where our clients go, or if you're focusing on a given industry um, and, and, and making it not uh, rhetoric filled wouldn't it be, I'm a big Beach Boys fan, but it, it's not a wouldn't it be nice. It's the, here's the places where we've invested. Here's the places we think there's a market. And, and we really think that there's a great compliment here. Um, you know, a lot of what we do now is help match make between big companies and small vendors doing interesting things. Um, and so it's just a matter of make that pointed, um, make that so it doesn't take a meeting to get something exciting on the table of what that potential combination could be. You know, the beauty of the time we're in right now is there's no such thing as too big to fail. There's also no such thing as too small to matter. So, um, so be simple, so be simple and clear and have a very specific understanding of what the needs of the, the target are. Yeah, for sure. Well, we are out of time. 
Uh, we've been talking with Bill Briggs, who is the Chief Technology Officer of Deloitte Consulting. And I have to say before we go, you have the most interesting office. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, for, for, it's funny how um, for a long time you had to kind of hold back your let's call it geek sensibilities and things. And as uh, engineers and technology has inherited the earth, it's nice to be able to celebrate with a Lego Death Star or a chess set. There's a Notre Dame helmet behind. I'm, I'm still a proud Irish alum, even if we're on dire times right now. So, well, thank you. Um, <laughs> and you have a guitar. Yeah, and there's pinball machines right through there, but um, we'll have to do the Cribs episode next time, Michael. Maybe we'll... Secret Doors... Home theaters, pinball machines, life in Kansas is a beautiful thing. Next, Well, next time we'll ask you to play for us. Okay, sounds good. All righty. Well, thank you so much. We have been talking with Bill Briggs, who is the Chief Technology Officer of Deloitte Consulting, and you've been watching episode number 206 of CXO Talk. Tune in again next week. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.